pray. Gracious and merciful God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you are faithful, steadfast in your word, in your love for us. So open our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit to follow Christ evermore. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In following the call of Jesus, each each of us needs to be encouraged every step along the way to be able to persevere in our faith, to be able to, as we talked about last week, to fan into flame our faith, the gift that God has given us, to remember what is precious, the very gospel message, and to guard it so, so dearly. And we need everybody, me included, we need to be encouraged to be filled and refilled ongoingly in our walk of faith, to be able to be faithful and bold. And you know, when you are filled with it, as Melissa talked about, and I, re- I really wish I could have taken a video of you when you first told me, because your face was just all lit up and smiling. It was like being filled with the Spirit, right? Of actually giving you words to say when you didn't think you'd have words to say. And it, it's that type of aliveness in the spirit that comes when you fan into faith, your, the, when you fan into flame your faith, when you are encouraged, when you hold things precious and dearly. This is what Paul is doing with Timothy. Paul with Timothy is this. He is encouraging Timothy to persevere in the ministry of the gospel, to be both faithful and bold. So he, in chapter 2, is basically expanding upon the lessons that he has given in chapter 1 in the letter. And so we are going to continue on learning from Paul to Timothy here. And four things this morning. To be strengthened by grace, such that we can teach others as we share in the suffering and endure for the sake of the gospel. So we are going to be strengthened by grace and make sure that we share, that we teach others as we share in the suffering and endure for the sake of the gospel. So let us continue. Let's start then with being strengthened by his grace. Chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I mean, Paul is writing like a father to a son here. It is so, so loving. You then, my child. And he's helping to shore him up because if you remember, we talked about how in Ephesus there were a lot of cultural things and moral decay and paganism through and through that were within that city, that imbued that city, that was part of the culture. But it wasn't only that. There were issues inside the church as well. So he's saying You need to be strengthened, Timothy. But notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, just look within you. See, in our day and age, especially if you listen to any uh, self-help improvement coach or whatever, they talk about, look to the giant within you. You know, things like that. Look within. Go for that gumption, that self-resolve. And by the way, that can be very helpful. But for Timothy who's in ministry, for you and I, for the sake of the gospel, 
Looking within isn't sufficient. By ourselves, we will fail in the task of standing firm for the gospel. So Paul tells Timothy something different. He says this. He says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Don't rely on yourself for the work for the sake of the gospel. Look outward. Look outward to the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's where you're going to find the power, the life in the Spirit. And last week we did. We talked about power. Last week we covered this. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now the power that we're talking about here is not physical strength. That's not what we're talking about. It's to be able to work on, to hold out, to endure all things, to suffer, to die, to be victorious, triumphant in our walk of faith. That's the kind of power we're talking about. It is the power of an unquenched flame of living fire. And so where do you find that power that we're talking about in God? I mean, the Israelites looked to Mount Sinai, and in Mount Sinai, it had fire, it had thunder, it had all the power of God. But Paul's saying, no, that's not where you're looking, Timothy. You need to look somewhere else. Because really, where you're going to find the power to endure, to hold on, is in his grace. You find truly the power of God in his grace. Last week, we talked about Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is what? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So he says, Timothy, you have quite the task ahead of you. You need to be strengthened by the grace of Christ Jesus for this task. And Paul knew himself deep down in his bones how weak he was. Not Timothy, but Paul. Paul knew how weak he himself was. Listen to what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about having a thorn in the flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So it's not about the gumption that you have yourself. It is about the strength of the grace of God. When we rest, when we we gain strength, when we rest upon his grace. And you know this, when everything else is stripped away, the only thing that's left is the grace of God. Paul had everything stripped away. It was now the grace of God. Wonderful lesson, right? Should Timothy just keep that to himself? No. He needs to be able to share it with others. Verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Look, 
The importance and command to teach is woven throughout all of Scripture. It's woven throughout all of Scripture. Take a look at our reading from Deuteronomy. Our reading from Deuteronomy is called the Shema. It is a a section of Scripture that all the Israelites knew by heart. They knew this, and it says this, Shema, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. Look, the men and women of Israel were not only to take in the word, they were to live the word and to teach. That's really the command there. It is to teach their children to live that faith. So the faith that you and I have is a lifelong learning process. We continue to learn and grow and to be taught by God and his word. Look, Jesus did the same thing. Besides being called rabbi, what was one of the most common names or titles, not names, but titles given to Jesus? Teacher. He was a teacher. So Jesus not only preached, he taught as well. And if you take a look also, that's what the apostles did. Acts chapter 5, and every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. The passing on of our faith to others is not only commanded, It is critical in strengthening the faith of the body of Christ. And it's not just preaching, it's preaching and teaching. Preaching lifts the soul, right? It inspires you. But it is the teaching that gives you solid ground upon which to stand. There are so many preachers who might inspire you, but after you leave there and through the rest of the week, then you're like, I got nothing else to stand on here. But it's the preaching and teaching together that lifts the soul, that strengthens you, that helps you be faithful and bold and to guard guard the deposit that's been given to you and to others. Now, how important is this? How important is it not just for pastors, but for the body of Christ to be able to share and teach others as well? Well, there was a study done uh, May 2021, so just a few months ago. It was done by the George Barnard Group for the Family Research Council's Center for Biblical Worldview. It's actually based on research done by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. So right in our state here. Anyway, so they talked to Americans. They did a survey. And they wanted to find out, okay, what's your biblical view? 
Do you say you have a biblical view? And then based on your questions, do you really have a biblical view? This is what they found. Out of all adults they talked about, 51% said, I have a biblical worldview. The reality was just 6%. Pretty sobering. Now, for those, uh, and, and by the way, for those who are really deeply committed in their faith, you know, going to church, Bible studies, uh, all sorts of stuff, 88% said, I have a biblical worldview, but the reality was 44%, about half, less than half, actually had a biblical worldview. Now, born-again Christians, 80% said, yes, I have a biblical worldview, but only 19% did. And those who attended an evangelical church, so gospel-preaching, Bible-based church, 81% said yes, but only 21% actually did. Have you ever talked to somebody who says, I'm a Christian, and then what comes out of their mouth makes you just pause? On vacation one time, uh, we would, back in Minnesota, uh, we had some neighbors. We ended up vacationing the same week each week, and uh, she taught Sunday school. And this was during the time uh, about a marriage amendment in Minnesota. And, uh, you know, I believe marriage is between a man and a woman. And she was like, hey, it doesn't really matter. I said, well, have you, have you read uh, Romans? No, I haven't read Romans. So we opened up chapter 1, and she's like, oh. Now, interestingly enough, it didn't change her view, did it? Uh, well, it didn't. She still kept to her own view, even though God's word said something different. So it is just amazing. So that's why the importance of not only preaching, but teaching, of being involved in God's word, and then sharing that with others. We talked about the importance of grandmothers and mothers, grandfathers and fathers. So, this really brings to mind what Paul has been talking about. He says to Timothy, and this was in chapter 1, he says, Follow the sound pattern of the words you heard from me in in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, guard the deposit entrusted to you and teach that to others. Because you know what, Timothy? You're going to share in suffering as well. So we're going to get to this next section here. Share in suffering. I'm going to read the verses. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. He says, Timothy, you got some work ahead of you. And you need to consider three things here. What it means to be a soldier, what it means to be an athlete, and what it means to be a farmer. So we're going to take a look at these. I'm going to kind of give you a heads up on it. A soldier has that single-minded devotion, that pursuit of the proper priorities. An athlete is disciplined in following his, God's word, and a farmer is diligent in tilling and toiling. 
soldier, athlete, and farmer. So let's take a look at each one of them. Soldier. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Look, there are a lot of wonderful things about standing firm for the gospel. There are wonderful aspects to it, but it can be hard. And there can be a lot of ups and downs. There are sometimes wonderful victories, but there are oftentimes battles that are fought. And in the battle, sometimes they're from without, sometimes they're from within. And sometimes there are people who get wounded in these spiritual battles. And sometimes there are even spiritual deaths, so to speak, that occur. So it's not for the faint of heart. So he says, you need to be a soldier to share in that suffering. And we share in the suffering, as he talked about in chapter 1, verse 8, share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now, I don't know if any of you have been in the armed forces, but when you, I'm going to guess, when you went in that first day, right, you had to take an oath. Anybody here in armed forces? You had to take an oath? You pledged your allegiance, didn't you? And you said you're going to have a single-minded, wholehearted devotion to what was in front of you. That you would follow your commands and follow follow the commands given to you and follow your commander. Am I on track with this? You were told it's yes, sir, no, sir. Can you imagine a new recruit saying, well, you know, let me think about it for a little bit here. You know, I got some other stuff at home, some unfinished business. I was thinking I could just go away for a couple days. No, 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 no. You are there, and your priorities, your life is now my life. You're mine, right? And the priorities that I set for you as your commander, those are your priorities now in life. There's no hedging bets. There's no just kind of wandering away. It's that wholehearted, single-minded devotion. Part of it, what it means to be a faithful, faithful and bold, is to know whom you serve. Christ Jesus. He is our Lord. It is He whom we serve. And to have His priorities be your priorities. That's what it means to be a soldier. Now he uses another analogy, athlete. He says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Who's familiar with the Tour de France, the cycling race? It is the premier cycling race in the world. And it is a grueling race. 21 days, actually 21 stages. And this year, it was 2,122 miles long. And it's not just on flat land, you know. They're going up mountains. I mean, you have to work. You have to be disciplined. You have to really have your body in shape to be able to compete in that particular race. You and I are in a race. It's not a bicycle race, but it is a race, and it is a marathon. 
And as a follower of Jesus, we have to discipline and train ourselves to run that race of faith. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the Christian life demands this practice of self-discipline, or we talked about last week also that self-control, same thing, self-discipline, self-control. And our race, our marathon says that we must continue on in that discipline practice. But, but we don't get to run the race any which way we want to. Now, if you know Tour de France, what's one name that kind of pops up? Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong. So, before Lance Armstrong, only... A handful of people had won the Tour de France five times. That was the most anybody had ever won that particular race. Do you remember how many times he won it? Seven. Seven times. And the world was just in love with Lance Armstrong. I mean, he could do no wrong. He was everywhere you would see him. He was a celebrity. He made bicycling cool. And people started a bicycle, bicycle, started a ride. You know, they were doing all that. But, but, he didn't win legitimately. He used performance-enhancing techniques, drugs, also called doping. And he was stripped of all seven titles. As a matter of fact, if you go online... For all seven times he won, it says, no winner, no winner, no winner, no winner. You and I are to run the race, but we are to do it according to God's word. We are to run the race marked according to God's word. We are guided by his word. His word is to be the rule and norm of our life. What does norm mean? Norm means a standard. His word is the standard by which we are to run this particular race. In the Association of Free Lutheran, AFLC, which is what Joy Church belongs to, it says this, We bear witness that the Bible is our only authentic and infallible source of God's revelation to us and all men, and that it is the only inerrant and completely adequate source and norm of Christian doctrine and life. We are to run that race according to his word. In the gospel reading, if you love me, you obey my word. If you love the Father, you obey his word. And what we receive in this race is a crown of glory. What we receive at the end is eternal life with him. 
Now, he uses another one, one other analogy here, metaphor, the farmer. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. I grew up in farming area. I don't know if any of you did, but farmers were some of the hardest working people I knew, especially if you were a dairy farmer. Man, that cycle of uh, milking the cows, just a killer. But to be a good farmer, you had to be diligent. You had to toil. I mean, you had to make sure that the ground was at the right temperature, not too warm, not too cold for the first planting. You had to make sure that it was at the proper depth, that you had the proper seed, that the, there was enough water for it, that you had to weed it. You had to take care of your crop. You had to do all of that work. Even when conditions were bad, you still had to do all the work for the sake of the harvest, right? And it's only when you do all that work that you receive the harvest. Paul's telling Timothy, look, you've got a lot of work ahead of you. You've got to be like the farmer. And there are going to be some times when there's a drought. There's going to be some times when the hard hearts are really hard to till. But you've got to keep at it. You've got to be diligent in this. Continue to till, to toil, because the harvest is beautiful. The harvest is for you, Timothy, first of all, because you will grow in ways that you don't even think about. Like Melissa, when she was talking about that all of a sudden there's this bountiful harvest of prayer that comes out. But it's also the harvest of people coming to Christ Jesus, and that is a beautiful thing to do, to see. So, soldier, athlete, farmer, not for the sake of work itself, right? But for what? For the sake of what? The gospel. We endure for the gospel. Verses 8 through 13, you just have 10 on the screen. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as perceived in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, if you've been with me at any, long, any period of time, and for those who are just joining, we always keep coming back to the gospel, don't we? Always. We keep our finger right there on the page, always. Never lifting our finger from the page, from the gospel, from his word, because it is the gospel that gives us life. It is the gospel that compels us. It is the love of Christ Jesus given to us by the cross that gives us life and life everlasting. And so we never move our finger off the gospel. Because if you do, if you release your finger from the gospel, do you know what you're left with? The law. Do all of these things, just as Jeff was talking about, do all of these things for people because that's what it means to be a good Christian. That's the law. No, we do it because of the love of Christ Jesus and his gospel, the good news. 
We've been in our Bible study in Galatians, and Paul covers this wonderfully. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. I died to sin. I died to the law. I died to all of that. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, Timothy, everything that you're doing, everything that you're doing, you endure for the sake of the gospel. I have run the race. I have fought the good fight. All for the sake of Christ Jesus. All for the sake of the good news. And that's why we do everything we do, right? That's why we endure. That's why we persevere. That's why we teach. That's why we preach. That's why we soldier on. That's why we till the soil. That's why we discipline ourselves. All of that. To God be the glory, right? Amen. So for you this week, think about these things. How have you been strengthened by resting in Jesus' grace? In what ways are you learning about your faith? Sharing what you've learned with others. Pick one of these this week. Be a soldier, an athlete, a farmer. Take it on, practice. And finally, think about this. How does the gospel help you endure? And everybody says, amen, amen.